This is an encore presentation from Veritas Radio. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Dr. John Coleman. We'll discuss the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, the world's lies and propaganda machine. I guarantee you, you will not hear this in the mainstream media. Why? Because they control the media and the minds of the target audience. You'll be glad you listened to tonight's interview in its entirety. Dr. John Coleman will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe button. You'll receive your login immediately, and we'll have access to everything we have to offer. And don't forget to visit our Veritas store, where you can find MMS, our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with Seasons 1, 2, or 3, and much more. And to get in touch with me, it's very simple. Click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. The aim of the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations is not to inform you of their controlling actions in our society, but to use scientific methods that are well known to work in discreetly brainwashing the public. It is the core for mass indoctrination and global manipulation. It has also had a profound effect on the moral, spiritual, cultural, political, and economic policies of the United States and Great Britain. It has been the front line of the attack on the U.S. Constitution and state constitutions. No group did more to propagandize the U.S., to participate in World War I at a time when the majority of the American people were opposed to it. Much of the same tactics were used by the social science scientists at Tavistock to get us into World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Serbia, and both wars in Iraq. The people of these nations were unaware that they were being brainwashed. The fall of the dynasties, the Bolshevik Revolution, World War I and World War II, so the destruction of all alliances and boundaries, the convulsions in religion, morals, family life, economic and political conduct, decadence in music and art can all be traced back to mass brainwashing practice by the Tavistock Institute. Dr. John Colpin is a master of more than 100 subjects. He's not one of the rather plentiful newcomers who have lately appeared on the scene. Stationed in 14 countries around the world and speaking several foreign languages puts Dr. Coleman at the head of the field of all writers of conspiracy and secret society books in the U.S. Dr. Coleman's Comedia 300 is published in eight foreign languages, in addition to 15 other titles published in Japan, which are not as yet available in English. In addition, Dr. Coleman has written and published more than 400 monographs, white papers on a wide range of subjects. His groundbreaking reporting continues to earn high praise from around the world. And for an expanded bio of Dr. Coleman, visit our website. And tonight, our focus will be on the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, which you can buy 
along with Dr. Coleman's other publications at his website, Coleman300.com. And I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Dr. John Coleman. Hello, Dr. Coleman, and welcome. How are you? Hello, Mel. Thank you for that nice introduction. I'm doing well. I hope you are too. I am, certainly, and it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on. And, and so that the audience knows, Dr. Cohen, I've heard your work being quoted by Jim Mars, David Icke, and, and others, but it was a conversation I had with the late Dr. Fred Bell a few years ago. He told me, if I wanted to know what was happening behind the scenes and how it is done, that I needed to look into your work. And years later, we finally have you on. Well, I don't want to say bad things about anybody. We don't have all much time. But David Ike, of course, copied all my work letter for letter. And um, I think he's probably one of the worst plagiarists of, the, of this uh, era here. And, of course, uh, I don't think that I would like to uh, say more than that. Okay, that's fine. Well, let's start from the beginning. What motivated you to look into the Tavistock Institute, which is an ultra-secret organization. How did you expose it? I first came across the Tavistock Institute when I was looking through papers in the British Museum in London, which is um, not open to the public. There's a certain part of it which is closed to the public, and it's only open to people who have been in some kind of a service to the British government. And, of course, that qualified me to go in there. And I had several very good mentors who gave me the papers I asked for. And by paging through these, I should say reading them, which I did for a period of five years, I was eventually able to amass, amass a, uh, a number of um, papers that enabled me to put this book together. And in there, I found out all about the Tavistock Institute. And for a lot of people who, who listen to us, they, they heard, they have heard the, the term Tavistock a lot. But just to define it, since you have become an expert, tell us how it all started in 1913 at uh, Wellington House. Well, there were two brothers, actually, who ran Wellington House, the Harmsworth brothers, and they were called Alfred and Harold. Then they were given the title Lords Rothmere, Rothermere and Lord Northlip, and they were given the task of propagandizing the British public into going to war in the First World War. Now, you have to understand that the British people were not at all disposed to go to war against Germany. They had no quarrel with Germany whatsoever. Furthermore, Queen Victoria was a direct relation of Kaiser Wilhelm II, and uh, in order to get the British people to agree to go to war, they had to be propagandized so that they would believe that the German people were barbarians and very ruthless. And they started out on the uh, Kaiser von Helm. They showed him in a German uniform, standing over children he'd shot with his service revolver. Then they showed him... Um, with the hands of the children chopped off, all imaginary drawings they put in to inflame the people into going into the war. And in order to keep that inflamed atmosphere going, they later did something even worse, which we'll come to as we continue. And eventually the British people who had been 80% against the war were persuaded that 
Germany was a bad country and needed to be taken down. And the reason why Britain went to war in the first place was that the uh, British government was jealous, exceedingly envious of the German nation, which had become very prosperous and industrialized after the First World War. And they had taken over a lot of the trade in Europe, especially in the Danube Basin, that had previously been held by Great Great Britain. And so Lord Grey and uh, King George VI did a secret trip to France, and they signed a pact with the French people, which stated that in the event that France was ever attacked by Germany, the British army would come to the rescue or to the aid of France. They didn't tell how they proposed to get the troops to Germany and what would become of them. And uh, the British people were eventually persuaded by propaganda, false propaganda, false lies, because that's what propaganda is, Mm -hmm. uh, to go into this war. And we know what happened. The casualties were horrendous and fearsome. So in essence, this organization was formed to shape propaganda and break the resistance against war, manipulating public opinion and directing the manufactured opinion down the desired pathway to support anything, in this case, a declaration of war. So in essence, the Tavistock Institute was formed to do just that, to get us into wars? Yes, that's so. that was the purpose. That was their mandate. And they were first of all financed by the royal family, and then they got funding from the Rothschilds after that which is not surprising. The Rothschilds have been involved in funding almost every war, except perhaps the Napoleonic Wars, and I'm not sure about that. They might have been involved in that as well. And they usually funded both sides of whatever the combatants were, so they had to reap a double benefit. And a few decades ago in, in the United States, uh, and you, you, you obviously know this, and I suspect around the world, media outlets were owned by several companies. Now they're owned by just a few, six or seven in the United States. Are these conglomerates part of Tavistock? It is indeed, yes, absolutely. And who funds it today? Today the Rothschilds have taken over the financing of Tavistock in its entirety. Some people say that the Rothschilds and Rockefellers are two different camps, but in reality they work together, don't they? They work very, very closely together because their interests are the same, to reap huge financial gain for themselves, and therefore they work in harmony so that that goal is achieved, and both parts, both different people could get what they desire, that is this huge war profit and swell the coffers of their their, their holdings. I know uh, there's plenty of terms that came about from Tavistock, including mass brainwashing. Did that come with, from Shavistock as well? That was, an, that was one of the words that was invented, and I called it Tavistock English. And uh, mass brainwashing was the words that were used were to induce people to think that the massive lie that they were being fed on was actually the truth, and to convince them so well that the people, in having been totally opposed, were swung in the exact opposite direction and then supported the causes which they had so vehemently opposed in the first instance. 
It's another example for uh, the term collateral damage. It's it's another one so that people can accept the fact that, yes, this happens in war, right? Yes, but I failed to say that. I didn't want to say that we had so many people killed because that might have awoken the American people and all people to the sense that, look, lives are being lost here. This is a terrible tragedy. It must be stopped. So they called it collateral damage. But in essence, they're talking about war casualties. People have been killed. Soldiers have been killed. And I know you also wrote another book, which uh, could and should be the theme of a future interview. I'm referring to the Committee of 300. Briefly, because it's not the focus of, of today's interview, briefly tell us what is the Committee of 300 and the term Olympians. The Committee of 300 was formed out of the opium trade with the Far East. And first of all, it was called the East India Company when uh, they were sent out to the East with their small ships. And in fact, in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars, they stopped at the Cape of Good Hope to get uh, refueling of water, fresh water and vegetables and fruit. And then they made their way to see the moguls of India, very, very rich people. And uh, they were beyond rich beyond belief. And they actually introduced these people to the opium poppy by putting opium seeds in their tea and uh, giving them a, punch, a scent of total serenity so that the Indians were able to make a deal with them in which they were the beneficiaries. And then, in later years, they let them into the secret so that we had their American counterparts, like they had to sign Perkins, the Cabots, the Lodgers, people who said of themselves that they spoke only to each other and to God, and they amassed enormous fortunes also out of the opium trade with the Far East. And so the Committee of 300 was eventually granted a charter to wage war, to conduct negotiations, and to make peace treaties. Can you imagine a private company, that was the East India, British East India Company, a private company in America being allowed to make peace treaties and make war with other nations and to uh, and to, to do all things that belong to the state, actually. So the, the Committee of 300 eventually usurped the, the functions and the power of the state. So is it safe to say that the state reports to the Committee of 300? Absolutely, they do this through an organization called Chatham House in London, and that houses the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And the Royal International Affairs gives its daily orders to the President of the United States. Now, not a lot of people are not going to believe this, but research will show you that this is the absolute truth and nothing but the truth. And those orders were conveyed to the Wall Street uh, Morgan Company, who then sent their emissary daily to the White House in order to give them a briefing of what was expected of them and what they had to do. In fact, Wilson, President Wilson, had a red phone, a line connected straight to the Tavistock people and uh, to Morgan to get his daily briefings. So if he needed an explanation of anything, he uh, called them up directly. 
and spoke directly with him. And during the, the interview, I'm going to be mentioning a lot President Woodrow Wilson, which in my opinion, and I hope I'm not offending people, may have been one of the biggest traitors this country has ever seen. Would you agree? I think that he ranks with Roger Casement and all of the others, and I think that what he deserved was to be removed from office, impeached, and then tried for treason, and he found guilty, should have been given the penalty of banishment in public life. Yes, and I say this because he really tried to hurry the the uh, Federal Reserve Act so that we could get into war, and immediately after, they passed the... Uh, the uh, uh, tax, uh, the Federal Tax uh, Revenue Act. Was that coincidental? That all happened almost at the same time? It happened in 19, I think it was... Uh, 13? 1913. Right. When he said they were going to revise and update the uh, the taxing system. But what they did was Wilson com- completely abandoned it and put in a brand new form of taxation, which was, in fact, a yoke around the neck of the American people. Because if you read the, the, if you read what the founding fathers had to say about taxation, they said that taxation could not be imposed on anybody in the United States except if the people themselves in the states were willing to be taxed to pay for roads and services, bridges, and so on. Dr. Coleman, for some reason, my recording equipment is giving me some trouble. Can you hold for one second, please? Please hold. Okay, I'm back. I apologize. This has never happened in hundreds of shows when this fails. And uh, I wouldn't doubt that somebody's trying to uh, prevent this interview from happening. So let, let's proceed. I'm not surprised that it's happened many, many times before with other stations where inexplicably things have happened. And in some cases, they were so bad that to abandon the program. So uh, I think this is the type of thing that's we are going to see occurring much more in the future. Well, the only time this had ever happened was with the scientists who discussed uh, anti-gravity and how you this could happen, and we were disconnected 20-some times, but let, let's proceed. You say Tavistock by 1937 had come a long way from, from the 1913 uh, anti-war and opinion was changed. Now, the, the new war was coming up again. Right now, we have more or less the same script taking place, drums of war with, uh, with Iran. Do you think this is alive and well, Tavistock, alive and well today? Oh, they're very much alive and well today. But I'd like to go back to the point where this propaganda became a great success. Sure. The Harmsworth brothers were given titles to make them sound more important. And their newspaper was the vehicle whereby the troops on the front line were kept in touch with the events on the home front so that the soldiers were made to feel not so isolated because, you know, it didn't have the communications today that we have. And so uh, they bundled up hundreds of copies of their paper and sent them out free of charge to the troops in the front line. And this way, they kept the morale high. Hmm. And the reason for that is they wish to prolong the war because the longer the war lasts, the more money the proponents of that war and the propagators of that war, the more money comes to their coffers. They can conceal the truth from the people by talking about collateral damage. Hmm. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.